Here's a mental exercise for you. Imagine North Carolina, NC State, Duke, and Wake Forest fans all chanting, ACC, ACC, not sarcastically, which is how folks do it today in reaction to SEC fans who pull for teams that aren't Alabama. I'm saying actual pride in the big four and pulling for your rival to win against an outsider. Turns out you don't have to imagine it, because that's how it used to be back in the 50s and 60s. So what changed? The Big Four Tournament, which came about a decade following the aftermath of the Dixie Classic and the recruitment of David Thompson. The Triangle has the most unique landscape for sports. Three major universities along Tobacco Road with rabid fan bases. A Stanley Cup champion. An NFL team right down the road and heavily invested transplants. Not to mention an interesting mix of sports teams that were. Joe Ovius brings you a brief history of Triangle Sports, a candid conversation with those who help shape why sports matters here. Well, it's called a brief history of Triangle Sports, so let's give you a brief history of how we got to the Big Four tournament in the 1970s. NC State hires Everett Case to be their basketball coach. Case is largely responsible for a good chunk of ACC traditions people hold dear to this day, including the Dixie Classic and the ACC tournament itself. NC State flew the flags of its rivals outside the new Coliseum, but each banner might just as well have been flown at half-mast because the odds of anyone winning in Everett Case's rally were as long as the hemlines of 1949. Case, the Gray Fox, made Reynolds Coliseum his personal hen house in the Dixie Classic. The Dixie Classic, which was his brainchild, uh, was certainly uh, an innovation. It was the finest holiday tournament in the nation. At that time, even more popular than NCAA. The teams from all around the country were riding Everett. Let us play in your tournament. I never shall forget that Dixie Classic when Oscar Robinson came in here and, and uh, the Cincinnati team, which was number one in the country. It was the best Dixie Classic we've ever had. State managed to beat Cincinnati in the semifinal round. In 1964, Everett Case developed cancer and turned the team over to Press Maravich and Charlie Bryant. There would be one last hurrah for the Gray Fox in the ACC Tournament of 1965, one of the last to be played here in Reynolds Coliseum, NC State upset Mighty Duke. We brought Everett out on the floor and and it was just, it was just such a, a great, great feeling to watch Everett reach up there for one more time and clip those nets because he had done it so many times and set the precedent for uh, excellence in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Case died less than a year later, and so that he could wave to the Wolfpack team, he was buried along Highway 70. But his indomitable spirit lives in Reynolds Coliseum still. The Dixie Classic shut down in 1961 thanks to a point-shaving scandal involving NC State and North Carolina. And this was not a small operation your buddy might have run out of a dorm. At one point, an NC State player allegedly had a gun drawn on him because someone lost some money. Each December, the proud NC State program and the equally great Carolina program got to show their stuff at the Dixie Classic, a holiday tournament matching State and Carolina and the other big four schools against the best competition in the country, like Cincinnati with Oscar Robertson here. The Dixie Classic brought national attention and trouble. The Dixie Classic was the best college basketball tournament in the country. The ACC tournament was the best postseason tournament in the country. And it was a natural for gamblers. 
Ron Morris, author of ACC Basketball and Illustrated History, had difficulty getting anyone to talk to him about the 1961 point shaving scandals. Talked to the mother of one uh, man who uh, she was in tears, the fact that someone would bring this back up 30 years later. She said his life was uh, essentially ruined by the scandal. One player agreed to talk to Morris about the scandal. Don Gallagher of Binghamton, New York, told of taking $1,000 on several different occasions in exchange for arranging the point spread. Don Gallagher explained it in great detail. There was a very simple thing to do. He said most people think that what you would do is miss shots. That's the most obvious way to do it and the most obvious way to get caught. He said the way you do it is you just let your man score every once in a while. These documents tell the story. Gallagher and nine other players that stayed in Carolina took money from gamblers. Several of the players were found to have shaved points. The players were granted immunity from prosecution in exchange for testimony against the big gamblers. But none of these players' lives were ever the same again, nor were the programs the same. Yeah, they cut back the schedules. Uh, North Carolina played 17 games in 1961, as it did NC State. They cut back on recruiting. Uh, Everett Case's health was never the same at NC State. Um, and some people think the point-shaving scandal uh, basically took him out of coaching. Uh, Frank McGuire left North Carolina. Both state and Carolina restored respectability to their programs in the years following the scandals, and those who remember the hurt of 1961 hope nothing like this happens again. Bob Holliday, WRAL TV5 Sports. Fast forward to 1971 and the Big Four Tournament, where North Carolina, NC State, Duke, and Wake Forest play each other in Greensboro. This is where the key ingredients of the rivalry dynamics you know today were thrown in. And by the time the 70s were coming to a close, coaches hated it. Just listen to Dean Smith. I personally would rather play the top two teams in the country. Who are they right now? Kentucky and DePaul. DePaul uh, much rather than playing Duke and either Wake or State. Uh, simply because we play them so often and I think I'm all for the big four tournament as soon as we start we play them four times in basketball then we start playing football three times and and we'll all be happy but Norm Sloan NC State's basketball coach from 1966 through 1980 put it best the year before the big four tournament ended in the 80-81 season you're going to find out real quick what kind of team you had. I never have objected to the tournament. I think anything that commands the uh, attention of the media and the fans that, to the extent that the Big Four tournament does, it has to be good for basketball, and therefore it's good for people who are in the basketball business. Uh, I just haven't liked the idea that the last few years we've had to open the season with the Big Four tournament. And the irony of the whole thing is next year, the year that's going to be the last year of the Big Four, it's opened one week later, you know, so we'll have a chance to schedule at least two games games before we go into Big Four competition. Back when the Big Four tournament was held the first week in January, I thought it was an ideal situation. A tough way to open the season, but by the same token, you, you won't have to wait until you meet a team later on down the road to find out what you really have, what's strong and what's weak for you. Uh, decisions made based on what happens in this game can be valid decisions because, you know, a lot of times you open with an opponent, maybe you're 25, 30 points better than they are, and then you come out of the game saying, I was pleased with this, pleased with that, but I'm going to have to wait and see until we get up against a stronger ball club whether this is going to hold up or not. We're going to get a very valid uh, look at what we have as strengths and weaknesses, I think, in this opening game. Now, our ball club is going to get better as the season goes on. Wake Forest had the most Big Four tournament championships with four. NC State had three. North Carolina and Duke each had two. But as Sloan put it, winning the thing was fine. There was just one thing you couldn't do. Pressure game in the Big Four tournament is not the opening game or the championship game. It's the consolation game. 
because what you don't want in the Big Four tournament is to come out of there 0-2. Somebody's going to. There's going to be a 2-0, two 2-1-1s, and, oh, two and, and an 0-2. Oh two. two years ago, we came out of there 0-2, oh and, and that year we happened to have a lot of problems in our program here at North Carolina State. And I really think that that 0-2 oh start played a major role in a lot of the problems we had that year. So the pressure game over there in the Big Four tournament will be the consolation game. People will not be going in employing any strategy. You're going to go in there and do the thing that you think you can do best at this particular time. Strategy may come on down the road. A brief history of triangle sports is an idea I had back in 2014. But, well, I got distracted by other things and I did not follow through. But we're doing it today. I wanted to do something like this because longtime news and observer columnist Colton Tudor had recently joined Capital Broadcasting. Here's a guy who had covered 35 ACC basketball tournaments, 24 Final Fours. He started his career around the time of the Big Four tournament beginning and the arrival of ACC legend David Thompson. I didn't want Tudor's experience lost to time or buried in the labyrinth of trying to find old columns on the Internet. I wanted to talk to him about this and for all of us to have a reference point to how we got here. Colton, you come from a time where the college basketball season in this area had a lot more anticipation than it does today. I am in an era where we'll get around to college basketball once the college football season ends. I know the games have been played. I've already watched State play, and I've already watched Carolina play, but I'm not fully into it yet, and I probably won't be until around Christmas time. Um, that wasn't always the case. Oh, absolutely not, Jeff. Um uh, uh... Until oh, in, into the nineties, uh, the very first games, the very first basketball games were always uh, after football was over. Mm-hmm. And usually, December first, that was the signal day, and people waited for it because the the football teams in this area in those days were basically like they are now. I'm mean, <laughs> believe mediocre. It, well, actually, Duke was the kingpin there, <laughs> so things haven't changed. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, the the uh, I went back and looked it up. Uh, the very first game that Dean Smith ever coached at UNC as, as a head coach at college was December second, nineteen sixty one, and it was a conference game, and that was an opening game of the season. And they had to play Virginia; they beat them easily. Mm-hmm. But that was at a time when UNC was on de-emphasis uh, because of the gambling scandals that resulted from the Dixie Classic. But uh, yeah, the entire the the entire dynamic of uh, of the basketball early season. Today, it is more like December and maybe November. Well, actually, November and December mm-hmm. are sort of like uh, quasi-exhibition season. They're obviously more important than that with the Big Ten Challenge where you can get a quality win or, or, or a bad loss. You, yes. can, you can get bad losses. The worst thing about the downside of this is uh, the way the season is structured today where you're uh, teams and most of the teams in the ACC, or a lot of the teams in the ACC, play fairly weak November December schedules. Is that if you lose one of those bad, if you lose, if you get an ugly loss now, it sticks. It just rides with you forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes you. You know, you've got to have. If you have a if you have a really bad December loss in the NC on your NCAA resume, you've almost got to get two 
conference road wins to get rid of the thing. It's when did you when did you start seeing the change locally? I mean, you've been covering college sports in this area since 1970, and it's always been, as you said, up until the 90s. When can you pinpoint the time when college basketball and the triangle didn't have an anticipation level like you were used to seeing in the 70s and the 80s, even in the 90s? Well, in, in a way, the first, the forerunner of it was the, the great state teams of 73 and 74, which uh, they were, the conference, the preseason conference schedules were really weak, and they got started getting extended a little bit. Other than the Big Four tournament, Norm Sloan played the Sports Illustrated ran this famous story, which infuriated state fans. Actually infuriated ACC fans, <laughs> but it really infuriated state fans, and it was called the kennel ration schedule, the, the one night, one dog food after another, yeah. and, uh, where Norm would play like Columbia State and Savannah Tech, and the, but, but he would, he would, he would uh, explain it by saying, look, I've got to play the big four tournament, which nobody in the country has to do anything. They have to, nobody has to go through that except four of us, mm-hmm. and so Norm would line up these really easy teams, and that sort of took started to begin to take away uh, a little bit of the anticipation. After that, there was a period when the Big Four tournament was played at the very start of the season, the very opening game of the season, till it was played like the middle of December and then eventually into early January and then back to the front of the season over 10 years. And uh, during that period where Norm would uh, schedule these real real lightweights, but he didn't have to worry about it. He knew he had the best he had the best team in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Well, and he had, had the best team in the country. Well, yeah, two years, two seasons, maybe. You know. So the Big Four tournament, we hear people like me. I didn't grow up in this area, but you hear about the Big Four tournament, and I'm thinking to myself, what was it? it was it like its own offshoot? Oh, it did was, it, it, did it, it didn't count towards conference standings. It happened at the beginning of the season. It was an entity, and the, and and the coaches co- were cool with this. They were not cool with it. Dean Smith hated it so bad. So why were they doing it? Because, uh, money in okay. those day in those days, it was it was much harder to get a ticket to the Big Four tournament uh, than it was to get a ticket to the ACC tournament. It was damn near impossible to get a ticket to the ACC tournament. True. So, now it's a piece and, of cake. And, and TV, it was only the, the – I'm not even sure the first – in 71, I'm not even sure the first Big Four tournament was on anything other than regional uh, TV mm-hmm. with Raycom, uh, Jefferson Pilot in those days. Um and it was it was such a big it was a it was a cash cow. Yeah. I mean it was they would allocate that that coliseum to Greensboro, which in, even then seated like seventeen thousand. They would go four thousand, four thousand, four thousand, four thousand, and sell hold out one thousand to sell to, to like sell to the highest corporate bidder. You know, <laughs> you'd have those you'd have those uh, furniture uh, uh, manufacturers over in High Point and uh, Greensboro area just bidding. Like, I mean, I, I'm not sure how. Bob James was genius when it came to that, but uh, he was the commissioner of the ACC. But it was brutal. I mean, it was. Uh, I went back and looked at this thing, Joe, in in uh, in the 1979-80 basketball opening games for, in, in 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 for the Big Four on November thirtieth. UNC had to start against NC State in Greensboro in the Big Four, and UNC. It was a brute. I've covered the game. It was. It was a physical. Very that basketball was a lot more physical then than it is yeah. now. And people are surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, but still. Uh, but UNC won that game. Pulled away at the end. Won ninety seven eighty four. The very next night, 
in the championship. Mm-hmm. UNC win. They, they, by that time, they were calling the double headers, but it didn't make any difference. It's still a tournament. Yeah. Uh, but they're very nice. Next night, that they, they had to go out and play Duke. <laughs> I mean, and it was it was a bloodbath. Duke beat them going you know, yeah. at the end. Duke pulled away at the end, and it was absolute bloodbath. So, do you remember when the Big Four tournament ceased? Uh, yeah, that and, was the, you know, the, the following year. Okay, the, the coaches were up in arms, but at that point, everybody was mad. I mean, it started with Dean. Dean, mm-hmm. Dean didn't really even Dean wasn't around for the for the Dixie Classic, but he was an assistant. Mm-hmm. And Frank McGuire hated the Dixie Classic, even though he won it two or three times. But he hated having to come over here and play three games on NC State's court, and then come back in March and play the ACC tournament on NC State's court. And of course, Everett Case, who was the state coach, would would uh you know he'd fuel the fire by saying look you know if if you want to plant wool and gym we'll go over there whether you got three thousand seats or four thousand we'll try to play it there so uh but when it, it when when who instigated the ending of it was it a conference thing was it just well, it all the, the coaches, coaches once disagreed it, it, you know it, it what was, we're not going to do this anymore yeah yeah the coaches just you know grabbed their athletic directors by mm-hmm. the you know by the shirt and threw them up against the wall bob knight best bob knight fashion yeah. or into a trash can and said we're not doing this anymore yeah uh, and that was how it ended. I mean, okay. That was exactly how it ended. And the fan reaction then? Oh, the fans didn't like The fans loved this thing. Yeah. See, this thing actually, see, when the Dixie Classic ended in 1960, this became the new Dixie Classic, And except it got out of the other four teams. It got those other four teams out of the way. Mm-hmm. Because one of the, the Dixie Classic format was the four big four teams against four of the best teams Everett Case could talk into coming down here to yeah. play. And one year that was Michigan State with Johnny Green, and one year it was Cincinnati with Oscar Robertson. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the, the quality of the, the big four, the the big the other fours were, were it was good, but they couldn't win, of course. Now I'm thinking about this through the prism of today and goosing RPIs and making yourself attractive to the NCAA selection committee. Everybody's obsessed with strength of schedule. Wouldn't something like this go over well today? Or we already have it in the form of, say, the Champions Classic where Duke takes on Kentucky and Kansas plays Michigan right. State and, and, the, and uh, they alternate every year. Yeah, the uh, the holiday tournaments on neutral courts. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, like the, the field they put together that UNC was in for the the Battle of Atlantis was as yeah. at the resort there in the Bahamas. That was a heck of a field. I mean, that mm-hmm. was as good a field. That was, that was resembling uh, – of uh, the uh, Dixie Classic fields that looked mm-hmm. a lot like that, except there was, you know, there was obviously no home court advantage. There really wasn't a lot of atmosphere. The Dixie Classic atmosphere was incredible because, believe it or not, in those days, the Big Four teams pulled for each other. I mean, the big thing out of that first day of the Dixie Classic is if all four North Carolina teams won. Yeah, it was like a holiday. It was. I mean, does that every, does that exist today? No. So nobody, nobody pulled. So Duke. So wait. So you're telling me there was a time where Duke and Carolina fans were actually on the same page about something? Absolutely. And Wake Forest. And Wake Forest fans were Wake, the most physical team in the ACC during that period was Wake Forest mm-hmm. because uh, Bones McKinney had this nasty habit of of football. Like we're talking about the division. Yeah. Football season would be over, so he'd pull over a few football players: Norm <laughs> Snead, Bill Hull, these kind of guys. All they, right. And they were just they were just monsters and best and. And the uh, NC State and UNC and Duke basketball players are used to dealing with basketball players. They weren't used to dealing with linebackers and tight ends. <laughs> so, yeah, it was. They all did pull for each other.
Well, at what point did the did the division begin? I mean, I get once they would play, you would have a problem with it. But like, to, like for instance, Duke gets knocked out in the uh, in the opening rounds. Mercer one year, and then Lehigh the next. I mean, if based on my Twitter feed, based on the phone calls that we get into the radio station. It was like a national holiday for Tar Heel fans oh, that yeah. Duke got busted. Well, I, you like know that. where I think that started. I think it really the, the, there was probably a little uh, there was a little slice in it. I mean, there was a little spot in there, but it really started uh, fragmenting the the fan support where, where they would each all yell ACC, ACC, like the SEC does for football. Yeah, yeah. right. I think it actually started with recruiting when okay. they were they were a lot of it had to do with David Thompson mm-hmm. because. When David Thompson signed with State, <clears throat> Dean Smith uh, said, well, you know, here's the thing about it. Duke bought him a sport coat, which Duke went on probation for buying David a sport coat, <laughs> of, all, of all things. Uh, I think because they bought it from some upscale, Yachts to Bo or somewhere. And, uh, <laughs> right. but, and so Dean's theory was that Jim Graham, who was commissioner of agriculture in those days, mm-hmm. Had the road to David's house in Shelby or outside of Shelby paved. This is folklore, and so I think that was when they started hating each other. Mm-hmm. And and it, actually, that road did get paved. Okay, but as it as it turned out, it was on schedule to be paved anyway. We had to, we had to do a big series. On, I was with the Raleigh time. Wait, 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 wait. This we had to go up there. Oh yeah, we had to go back and look into the work plans and so forth. <laughs> this had been this actual the paving of this road to David's house actually had been okayed. By the like the 1970s state uh, DOT budget through the through the uh, state legislature, uh-huh. but it as usual, you know, it took four years for the government to get around to three years. That's not a surprise. To, to, yeah. So, so when when uh, Dean's you know made those remarks, like, well, it's funny that David ends up at NC State and they paved the road to his house. And so, so that was when it started. <laughs> those things started happening, and, and then of course Norm Norm Sloan mm-hmm. arrived at state. And hated Dean, and Dean hated Norm, mm-hmm. and the, the the personalities became involved. Uh, it was funny that was about the time Vic Bubis got out at Duke, because he he wasn't uh, you know he wasn't a trench fighter. he wasn't a, you know he wasn't an alley fighter like yeah. Dean and, and Norm. Uh, so he and some, uh, you know Bones was Bones was down and dirty. So you, when you mentioned that Dean and Norm did not get along, and again, this is another example of a difference in how things are covered today and how they're handled versus how they were, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it was not a secret that they didn't like each other. Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. There was I mean, no cordial, They did you not know, speak to each other. They would shake hands. Yeah. They would, they would make a show of shaking hands before the game, mm-hmm. but, that would, but in those days, UNC didn't shake hands with anybody after the game. Okay. Dean's rule was you win the game, beat them to death, or beat them by one, beat them by 30, and leave. Run off the court. Don't shake hands with anybody. All right. And, and Now, why other, didn't they like each other? Was it just over the recruiting stuff, or were there other reasons? Uh, it, it was. I think it was the rivalry of the two schools. Mm-hmm. I think it was David. A lot of it went back to David Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but see, not, not many people knew how good David was. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like the day there wouldn't have any five star ratings, four star ratings, and this and but that. But that was a big recruitment, was it not? Or is it only because he was from the area and everybody only, knew he, he was a high pe- school legend? The only people that knew that David Thompson was great mm-hmm. were the people who saw him play. So they weren't, in that time, uh, Crest High School wasn't even in the North Carolina High School Association. Okay. It was in the Western North Carolina High School Association, which was another entity into itself. Yeah. 
and he played some games against teams from Tennessee and some mm-hmm. teams against South Carolina and the members of the North Carolina High School Association, which were like 75% of the high schools in the state, looked upon that as a bastard organization, an outlaw outfit, and they, they wouldn't come in under the umbrella. So you didn't get a lot of information on what went in on the Western North Carolina High School Athletic Association. Mm. And it wasn't until David's final year at Crest that anybody really even knew about him, except the coaches. Yeah. The coaches knew about him. Okay. And and, and so a lot of the sports writers knew about him. Uh, and I only the only way I knew about him was from having heard the coaches say, you know, mm. this is, I remember the first time I ever heard David Thompson's name used was was uh was by uh, Bill Guthridge who okay. said he said and you know in those days you could talk a little bit off the record about it. he said we really need to get this kid out of Crest High School he's a second guard and so forth and so on now did and you it, go see him in high school at any point once did you heard not, about him? I never saw David in high school because I saw I saw working for the Raleigh Times I saw more as many high school games as I did college games I mean it was nothing for me to see. 30 or 40 college games or 30 or 40 high school games every season. And, but I only saw basically in, I'd see the NCHSAA okay. games. And so I didn't really – I never really got to see him. So I got to see – I saw Tommy Burleson play two or three times because the 1A championship in those days was in Durham. No, recruiting today, I'm sure David Thompson would have been on an AAU oh, squad. Oh, Lord, yes. He would have been on the, some, you know, some sort of the Charlotte – uh, right, some traveling super, team. Superstars there would be known. YouTube video footage of him. There'd probably be daily updates about you know on Twitter from the inside Carolinas or Pack Prize Wolfpackers yeah. or whoever talking about how Coach X is visiting this game, and we'd know we we would know about David Thompson from the jump. And then number two, we'd be speculating where he'd be in the draft at this point. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, we wouldn't be speculating. We'd be knowing where. Well, we know where we'd go <laughs> at this point. Uh, you know, hindsight being what it is, right. but uh, when. It, David Thompson was an urban legend a long time. But in David Thompson's first year at NC State, mm-hmm. it was a lot harder, and I'm saying two or three times harder, to get in there, to get in Reynolds Coliseum in time to see the freshman games. That's right, because they, could, they couldn't play. His first year, he had to play freshman yeah. ball. Yeah. And so uh, it was, and I covered every, one of my jobs for all the time was to cover the freshman time, mm-hmm. to cover the UNC freshmen, they were called Tar Babies. <laughs> <laughs> and state's players. That's, that's unfortunate. I'm telling you, they were called the Wolflets. State was called the Wolflets. And uh, Duke's players were called the Imps, the Blue Imps. The Blue Imps, okay. So I would cover the freshmen. I'd like, write a column every week about what was going on in for, for a while there, and also the f- football. And the first time you saw David Thompson, your was thought in was? His, was in his first freshman game at NC State. Uh, he scored, I, I think they played... I think they played Edwards. God, somebody's going to get me on this. Yeah. But I'm going to say we can Edwards. Fact, we can fact check that one. Edwards Military Academy mm-hmm. or EMI, Edwards Military Institute, and he scored like 35 points and only played two or three minutes in the second half. <laughs> and, Best player you'd seen at that point? Yeah, and, and you couldn't dunk. Right. And there was, was no three-point shot. It was against the NCAA rules at the time. And I looked at him and I said, gosh, here is Oscar Robertson with an inside game. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, man, I'm, that was my first. I said, God, this is Oscar Robertson with an inside game, even though he was, he was, they were the same size. Now, Urban Legend says that because of the no dunking rule, there was what? Is that, it was at the end of the season, or it was at some point where David Thompson oh, yeah, just he, said, forget it? He's, no, it was in the last game. The uh, last game. Yeah, and I forget who it was. It was one, they scored like 140 points. Yeah. Um, and so they no Norm set it up. 
because the fans were even the fans were good. You know, you could go to practice in those days. Oh, you I'm could not go to talking practice. about sports writers. Right. Anybody can go to practice. People could go to practice. Yep. If you just wandered into Reynolds Coliseum, you could go to practice. Mm-hmm. You could watch. You get to hear Norm cuss a lot. And if things really got nasty, he'd take them to the locker room mm-hmm. and blow them out for two or three minutes and bring them back up. You had to go down these steps. That was, that was like a drill in itself. So Thompson's out there just put on a show for fans that would see it at practice, but then you couldn't see it at games. Yeah, you couldn't see you couldn't see that Duncan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then th- that last game, they gave him an alley oop, and then rather than going a foot above the goal, to just drop the ball in like mm-hmm. he always did. Yeah, he said no this time, and he does tomahawk. Yeah, and of course it's a technical foul, <laughs> and he gets yeah, standing ovation. Yeah, what are you gonna do about it? And I, you know, I remember I I interviewed I can't, I interviewed one of the officials, and it seems like it was Paul Hausman. Who had to call it, and he said it was the worst call of his life because he was. <laughs> he said I wanted to clap too. <laughs> I think it was. It was. It was either Dan Woolrich or Paul Hausman. I think it was Hausman. Yeah. Who said? You know. I, he said that hurt me more to make that call. Does it? Does it bother you, or do you kind of chuckle when nationally the assumption is best ACC player ever is Michael Jordan oh, because no. we know of Michael Jordan's. Not that he wasn't good in college. He was good. But we but we know of his NBA career and how he was the greatest of all time in the rings and everything else and all the comparisons that all the NBA players have to deal with. But locally, does it – I mean, I'm guessing that people just bristle at that idea because they saw somebody like David Thompson limited without three-point shots, without dunking, still do what he did. There's no, there's no real debate among UNC and state fans to this day mm-hmm. – of uh, the, uh, the people who actually saw David play, mm-hmm. there's no debate. There's no debate. I mean, it, it's 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 so clear cut. Uh, it, there, there's just no debate. I mean, it's like comparing Willie Mays to Duke Snyder, mm-hmm. and they're both great players. I mean, I, that's always the analogy that I came up with in my mind because okay. I'm a Dodger fan. I, <laughs> I had to bite the, the the short end of the bullet on this thing, <laughs> but it's exactly the same analogy, and that's taking fans back too far. But the UNC fans. Always knew. Look, he beat him ten times out of eleven or something. He beat him ten straight games. Yeah, and that was when UNC was really good. I mean, UNC was really good all the time. There was an element but, of scoreboard there. But you, nobody. Here's the thing, Joe. Most the the most forgotten team in this whole scenario was Maryland. Mm-hmm. Those seventy three and seventy four Maryland teams were unbelievable. They were either of those teams could have won the national championship. Mm-hmm. Either of them could have. Yeah. And they couldn't even get to the NCAA tournament. They right, could because, not even get there because of the recruitment. B- because of yeah, bec- no, because of the limitations. Oh well, on, on the, the the field limit. But, you but NC, but one of NC State's teams wasn't even eligible to play because yeah. of David Thompson's right. recruitment. Right, no, well, they they did get there one year, but yeah. they would not have gotten there in '74. They could not get there because of David. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and you and when you say because of the limitations of the of the conference and it was the limited only conference champion got to go. Yeah. But the reason that they Maryland couldn't get there was David. <laughs> Even though Burleson Burleson would beat Maryland in Greensboro. Oh, yeah, in yeah, 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 yeah. But David would still even even though Burleson was being player of the game, mm-hmm. David was still getting twenty five points and fifteen rebounds and five assists and That's blocking insane. six shots and uh and, and the people the the, the really the, the thing that I bristle at to this day is the fans that say, well, when David played, uh, nobody played defense. Well, that may be true, but when David played, they called fouled. Mm. If you were fouled, you were you were called for it. These were only two officials. But if, if you 
you know, if you took a jump shot from the outside and somebody slapped your wrist, you would you would call for a foul. So they knew that. So. Has the ship sailed for college basketball, given the way that we are so obsessed with college football? You got the college football playoff committee every week puts out their ranking, and we all sit there and we freak out. And the mm-hmm. regular season is elevated because of what I find to be a very dumb, lowest common denominator discussion about college football and who the best teams are. Usually it's, well, the SEC is number one, and you're all terrible, and and the ACC has to answer back with with numbers and wins and everything else, and nobody wants to hear the other side, and I think it just gets boiled down to really silly arguments. But it's why they're king. It's why they're making all this money. The conferences are driven by football now. They're not driven by college basketball. Do you ever envision a scenario where, or is there anything that college basketball can do to fix this kind of weird bleed-over of seasons Kind of a slow start where nobody pays attention. I don't think so, Joe. I they started in January and I get think, rid of March Madness and do something like May Madness. May, push well, it back? That's, that is the only way to do it. It's uh, because the the ship has sailed on November and December, mm-hmm. basically. Even though the, the ACC Challenge and uh, the Big ACC Big Ten Challenge and the uh, Battle for the Atlanta, whatever thing we, yeah. we were talking about. You got the Maui Invitational and, and all that stuff. And I've been out there for the Maui, and it's yeah. really cool. Sure. I mean, except it's played in a high school gym, which is about the size of the studio. And yeah, but you get to see coaches in Hawaiian shirts. And nobody who wants to want be to see inside? that. Who wants to be inside in Maui? Details. Uh, so, but the, I, I think that should, I think they have lost November, mm-hmm. and they probably lost at least half of December. I think there's a way to go back after the after the conference uh, football championship games have been played the week basically starting the weekend of the Heisman Trophy presentation which is uh normally the second weekend in December i think there's a way to move back to there mm-hmm. and then play quality games and salvage it but but as you say you may have to turn March Madness into April anxiety or whatever you come up with i would uh, say May Madness would probably be the best move to to do it and uh, but at, and and i think that would be a good idea mm-hmm. i really do believe it but it to do that, uh, CBS is going to have to sign off on it, and then ESPN's got to sign off on it because ESPN's got all the regular season rights, uh, and the coaches have to sign off on well, it. Well, coaches are going to do what they did with the Big Four. If it's making you money and that's how you make your revenue, you're going to stomach whatever issues you have with it. And right now, CBS is paying a lot of money to have that NCAA tournament in March and all the branding that goes along with it. The NCAA owns the rights to the name and everything. There's a lot. There's a lot riding on that month for the NCAA, even if that's usually the only time that the casual fan seems to watch any college basketball. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and indirectly, I guess we're both CBS people. So, but the the uh, March Madness. Yes, WRAL does not complain <laughs> about the March ratings. No, no. Nor do and, we on and, 99 and not, The well, Fan. Well, this will be edited out. No, no, but, it's fine. We fully admit but, that we uh, love our March ratings. Uh, one thing about March Madness for CBS that's so beautiful mm-hmm. is it sets up of tradition like for the masters none other or whatever yes. whatever that line is i, I keep I, jim nance is out every there every time with i the, get it wrong somebody corrects me but you I'm have the, the you have the little piano playing <laughs> out and the beautiful shots of augusta and it's and a tradition can you imagine other. this april when tiger will probably make his return yeah uh then cbs will every time there's a halftime timeout or 
four-minute timeout in basketball, there you, you, we're going to get a reference to here's here's Augusta the way it looks now, and here's the way Augusta looks when Tiger's going to be here. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, so that that part of it would have to be resolved, and that would they, be pretty hard. In your in your conversations with coaches, what the, what would they like? I think the the coaches what the coaches don't like mm-hmm. is the short turnarounds. Uh, I think that's one reason why the ACC is going to the Saturday night championship game. And the coaches don't like what the coaches hate most right now. If you if you had to cut all their veins except for Mike Shashevsky, <laughs> they hate conference tournaments. They hate them. They hate them as badly as Dean Smith hated the Big Four. Yeah. And so I think if you could do away with that weekend, the coaches would be happy with any sort of. Scenario. Why do they hate the conference tournament? They don't want to go have to play four, five, six, and the bigger the conferences get. Well, I guess, but the coaches who are in a position where they know they're going to make the NCAA tournament they probably are in that position where they don't like the conference tournaments because it could tire out their team. I, I could see where Roy Williams has never been a fan of the conference tournament. He hates it. But, that but comes if you're, from D- Dean hated it too. So, But if you're Mark Gottfried and the ACC tournament is kind of like the reason why you win one or two that elevates you above another bubble team, you probably love the oh, conference yeah. tournament. Hey, what about Sidney Lowe? He almost won two ACC tournaments from coming out of completely out of right field. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but by and large, the the power coaches. Well, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have. The power coaches. Power coaches don't, yeah. The power coaches don't like the conference tournaments. They don't like that weekend. Mm-hmm. They don't like getting people hurt, which has happened in the ACC tournament so many times. You can the the national championship. So many times has gone through the ACC tournament via injury. Yeah. So, so many times you can't even. Um. So they don't like and and it almost went through it with in '75. David got hurt in that final championship game against UNC because I went downstairs with him, and that's just, that's how much times have changed. Mm-hmm. David hurt his ankle, hurt his knee, all on the same play. He went downstairs with uh, Jim Reebok, and so I went down there with him during the game. And I'm sitting there watching David. I'm saying, David, you all right? And he's, uh-huh. and so I'm in the locker room, and, and Dr. Manley's in there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's how much times have changed. So the coaches hate, coaches hate that week where they can lose a player Lose a game, lose their momentum, lose their strength. David Thompson, I think everybody's in agreement, is the greatest of all time. But it's sports. We all like uh, debates. We always like to obsess over the next fill-in-the-blank player. And in, in the NFL, it's who's the next Peyton Manning and Tom Brady rivalry. In basketball, it's always the next Jordan. Eventually, we're going to be talking about the next LeBron. But locally, and in the ACC, I'm guessing there was a who's the next, next David, David Thompson. Thompson. Well, the first next David Thompson. <laughs> the first David, one. David Thompson next, number one, was Kenny Carr, who went to NC State out yeah. of the math and was a heck of a player. You know, he scored like 40 points on a game early in his career. But really, the next landmark recruiting crossroads, there were there were there were lots of them in between. But it was J.R. Reed, okay. out of Virginia Beach, mm-hmm. and he was the number one rated high school player in the country by far, hands down. And it was Duke or UNC, and he was still he had committed to UNC just before a week or two before the '85 ACC tournament in Greensboro, and th- and this was when. The the Coliseum on the first day in those days would be full more than an hour yeah. before the first game. You couldn't even – I mean, it was packed. People would be out there to watch the pregame drills and hoot and holler. And uh, 
it started with the the, uh, the Duke the the Duke one eighth of the Coliseum that they had or whatever it was when uh, started it was one eighth started yelling at uh, at UNC about the the final regular season game and mm-hmm. and then the UNC fans and there were of course as usual the UNC fans had a third of the Coliseum because they get everybody else's tickets. And so the UN fans, UNC fans started looking at the Duke fans and chanting, pointing the finger, saying, J.R. Reed, J.R. Reed, J.R. Reed. Mm-hmm. And then the Duke students and fans immediately came back with J.R. Can't Reed, J.R. Can't Reed, <laughs> even though he had been accepted to both schools. Well, Dean <laughs> hated that. It blew De- Dean found Dean knew about everything. Yeah, uh, he probably wasn't even to Coliseum at that point. Yeah, but he had his scouts out, and Dean got so mad about it. It stayed. He he made it into an issue. At some point after a Duke UNC game, he said, "Listen, Jr.'s SAT school, uh, scores were higher than somebody else's." That I mean, it was, mm-hmm. and, and it turned into a big. Uh, it was a big news story. Sports Illustrated did this big thing on it about SATs. And it turned out Jr. made a legitimate, whatever it was, twelve eleven hundred, which was very good. And that was before it was before they they changed yeah. around, right? So, did Jr. Reed turn out to be that guy when he saw him play? No, nobody ever turned out to be another. Who was the closest guy to Christian like Leitner, who nobody even knew about? Nobody even knew about. Leitner. That's how it always works out. Yeah, it's a guy I mean, you never hear about. It's going to come Leitner along and surprise was, you. Leitner was like a three star recruit. He surely had a, you know, he, he he took pride in his nickname was the bastard, and he took a lot of pride in it. And uh, when he, he he averaged like nine points a game as a freshman, and he didn't talk a lot. He turns out to be this guy that he not only does he lead Duke to two straight NCAA championships, he is the guy who can motivate Bobby Hurley by making Hurley so mad that Hurley plays above his head. And of course, then you throw in. Captain America with Grant Hill. It's <laughs> <laughs> right over the top. And I don't think Christian Leitner's, uh, I don't think he still has a problem with being hated or no. being called that. I mean, he has a 30 for 30 documentary coming out in March called I Hate Christian yeah, Leitner. They're, they're, you know what? They're he still... went to Kentucky as part of some like villains versus heroes basketball exhibition game right. in Kentucky. And signed t-shirts. Oh, you yeah. Can, he he yeah. loves it. You can find, there's they're, they're still t-shirts around that you can find on eBay where you've got this uh, Kentucky player, Timberlake, and with a footprint. Yes. Uh, I stomped. Uh, Amino Timberlake. Amino Timberlake. Yeah. <laughs> so, in your estimation, it wasn't the actual games themselves, not the results, Duke beating Carolina or NC State losing to Carolina, any of that other stuff. The genesis that created the hatred actually had to do with the recruiting trail. Absolutely. And, you know, and one day we can talk about Lenny Rosenbluth, which he was the, he was – Player of the Year in 1957. Mm-hmm. He had he was going to NC State. He even came to NC State. He was here, and Everett Case took one look at him and said, "You're fat, <laughs> and plus you smoke, and so we're not going to give you a scholarship." And Lenny <laughs> said, "Well, what in the heck am I going to do?" So he goes back to New York, and, yeah. and uh, Howard Garfinkel or some guy up there, one of those street people that used to line up recruits, uh, said, "Well, we'll I'll call Frank McGuire and maybe you can get in at UNC." So mm-hmm. maybe. You know, maybe that's where it all started. But the state fans didn't even know that that Rosenbluth was on campus, and uh, Everett kicked him off because <laughs> <laughs> he smoked and he was and fat. He's fat. And, hey. and 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 Lenny's 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 explanation was sure that was in May. 
I haven't played a basketball game since March. I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm up in New York. I'm smoking. I'm drinking a little beer. I'm eating a little pizza. Hey, I'm a typical New York guy. So give, me got, a, give me a chance. Let me sweat it off in the middle of summer. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Because usually you would think you're sick and tired of losing to a rival and, and, and those types of things. And, you know, you, you it's an actual result. Sports is about the result. Sure. Uh, you beat me or I beat you, and I'm mad about that. Never really thought of it in the context of the reason why you don't like another team or you would you'd be less inclined to root for somebody because of some shady shenanigan that yeah, took my place. Girl, my girlfriend left me for you or your girlfriend left me for you, for me. Makes total sense. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess with girlfriends, uh, you'll do things. If you really like a girl, you'll you'll try to impress them the best way you can. Maybe you borrow your dad's car and say, oh, yeah, no, this is my car. Or you're taken to a restaurant, and you don't know how you paid for it, but you just made made sure it happened. I guess, I'm guessing this is on, my credit card. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm guessing that ap- that happens on the recruiting trail more often than not, just to impress the guy. Like you said with the coat earlier, where'd that coat come from? Got to impress him, right? Most famous one, Joe, was probably, and this was pre-ACC. This was in the days of the Southern Conference because the ACC, the, uh, the ACC schools basically split off from the uh, Southern Conference. But it was in like uh, after World War II, mm-hmm. 1947, 48. Bill George from Pennsylvania was one of the top linebackers in the country. Well, I mean, he was top, one of the top football players in the country. And uh, uh, P. Ed Walker, who was the coach at Wake Forest, somehow the other got this kid. To, he got Bill George to come visit. And mm-hmm. he, Wake Forest at those days was in Wake Forest, North Carolina. It was a small little uh, church campus. and They had a little, little uh stadium out there but it wasn't very big yeah, wake Mac- forest today is a nice suburb they've got some cool little restaurants out there you know it's got a nice little downtown yep. with some got a nice little shops. seafood restaurant oh yeah no <laughs> yeah. wake forest is this cute little town now that people like to live in In but- those days it was in the woods okay believe me it was it was it was more rural than harnett county almost, yeah. even though it was in wake county so so uh p ed walker who was the coach at wake forest picks up this is a true story Picks up Bill George at the airport, and in those days, Raleigh Durham Airport was, you know, was about the size of the parking lot. And he says, "Why, well, you know?" He says, "This guy's from Pennsylvania. And we, Wake Forest is used to recruiting guys from Rocky Mount and uh, Dunn and Andrew. Mm-hmm. And so he says, on the spur of the moment, this P. Head Walker swears this swore this was true today. He died, which is infamous too. Uh, took Bill George, got him in a uh, in the car and took him over to duke <laughs> and showed him around showed him all those gothic buildings yeah. showed him wade stadium and showed him all this stuff which in the late 40s is uh, this go- yeah. gorgeous football yeah, facility that rose bowls were it, played it was, in yeah i mean it yeah. was like the, it was it was like a the taj mahal yeah. compared and so he said look you know he said what what this is this is where you'll be playing he wasn't lying because he would play if you played True. Games. So, you, you would pay them a visit. He, he yes. said, sign right here. And Bill George, who turns out to be an uh, <laughs> NFL Hall of Famer. Yes, he is. Signs and told the story. And I've heard Bill George, I heard him tell, tell this story. Uh, he said, he got to he got to uh, Wake Forest and found, where the heck am I? Where, what, what is this? Where's, the, where's all this stuff? He found out it, it only, t- he didn't, it only until he took his first visit to Duke to play mm-hmm. a game did he figure out that he had taken his official campus visit to Duke, but ended up signing with Wake Forest. So, so that's one of the greatest. It, to this day, it's still an immortal, uh, and, and I'm sure it's been duplicated. Of the the, uh, the the same scenarios probably happened, but that actually did happen. Oh, and P. P. Had Walker admitted to it.
Colton Tudor was born in Anger. He graduated from East Carolina. He started covering sports for the Raleigh Times in 1970, the lead sports columnist for the News and Observer for more than 20 years after the two newspapers merged in the 1980s. He helped me here at Capital Broadcasting, and he was the inspiration for this podcast. Tudor was one of a kind. He passed away in 2017, but he will not be forgotten. A brief history of Triangle Sports, sponsored by Copiers Plus, your local office equipment and solutions provider. Take the mystery out of your printing expenses by scheduling your free print audit today at copiers-plus.com.